0: I am so thankful for every minister here. You know what? That includes you. You know Jesus Christ is your Savior. You are a minister. I love the subject we're going to talk about this morning. It is the backbone of our church, of this ministry here. But sometimes we need to even point out that which is so obvious so we don't miss it. Message entitled, Personal Discipleship. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you love us. You didn't leave us alone to try to figure out the Christian life. Lord Jesus, you came and you walked it for us and you left us with the word of God and then you gave us the Holy Spirit to be our teacher. And then you left godly men and women so we could imitate and follow in their steps. Lord, I pray for those who are here today that don't have a savior, they don't have a shepherd, no one to lead them. Lord, I pray that you would draw them to yourself. Lord, I pray for those who are here today and they're not involved in personal discipleship. They don't even know what they're missing. Lord, stir up their appetite to plug in, get involved in ministry so they don't miss the joy. Lord, I pray that you would strengthen and encourage us today. Give us understanding of your word. Lord, I pray that I be spirit-filled as a teacher And that each one of us would be obedient to your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. These folks here in the book of Hebrews are struggling about leaving. That's what they're comfortable with. That's what they've grown up with. The traditions of the synagogue and the temple. And they know to really follow Christ, they're going to have to leave. And they're really struggling with that. Probably with the threat of, hey, we're not going to be your friend anymore. You're not going to be part of this family if you follow Christ. And some people saying, well, you could just do both. I'm sure in all different kinds of churches, in Catholic churches, in Mormon churches, there are probably some born-again people that just don't want to leave. And the problem is they don't know the joy. They're missing out on the grace. And that's what these people are settling for, the liturgy. That's what they knew, the tradition, because it's so old. And I thought, if I go out there, I don't know what it's going to be. That's why it's a step of faith. But what God has given us is not just his word and the Holy Spirit. He's given us the example of Christ. He's given us the example of those that have gone before When we meet on Sunday morning, this is not personal discipleship. This is me teaching the word to you or whoever's here in this place teaching the word of God. But personal discipleship is when you get down and there is accountability and there's encouragement on a personal level where you are bearing one another's burdens. If you don't have that this morning and you're a believer, I want to encourage you afterwards. Come up and 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 talk to myself or Lynn or Sam, one of the guys up here, so we can get you plugged in because I don't know how you do it by yourself. I need you. Now, I don't get to talk to every one of you every Sunday. And I don't know if this is ability the the Lord gives shepherds, but I see you. So don't change seats on me, okay? Make sure you're traditional. You find the same chair. (laughs) Like counting sheep, you know, I I get home and I think, Christy, I I didn't see so-and-so. Oh, they were sitting over there. I saw them. Oh, that's right. I remember. I remember they're sitting over there. And your faithfulness is such a blessing to me because I know you're in the same battle I am. We we live in a world that's against everything we believe in. And and it used to be when I was growing up, there were still some traditions and wrong was wrong and right was right, but not anymore. Now, if you believe in what the Bible says and there's right, they say, no, that's wrong. That's evil. That's evil. Good is evil spoken of, and evil is promoted as righteousness. So we need personal time together. And I don't know if it's the Apostle Paul that wrote this. I think he did, but maybe he didn't. Maybe the Apostle Paul is one that they're talking about. He's gone on to be with the Lord, but it begins here in verse 7. It says, remember those. Remember those that spoke the word of God to you. They led you. They spoke the word of God to you. And considering the result of their lives, imitate their faithfulness. Remember them. Remembering is an important part. Yesterday we were at a wedding reception. And uh, when we were leaving, Christy got a tear in her eye and she says, Remember when the boys used to play over here? That was in our old neighborhood. We lived down there. They could sneak across. After church, they'd go. I don't know how they got in because I thought it was locked, but they could get in the Civic Center and they played over there all the time. And nostalgia kind of brings a kind of a sadness, doesn't it? Because we're looking back and we kind of wish sometimes we could just go back and experience that time again. But it's also a strength when we remember those who have gone before, who forged a path, and it's kind of a wall of protection for us. There's two categories here. Those who led you, that's personal. They're in your life. It ought, to be, it ought to begin in our homes. It's not enough to go to a good church. If you're a mom or a dad, I hope that when you go to be with the Lord, your children say, that was the godliest people I knew. Now, when you grow up with mom and dad, you know they're not perfect. And it's interesting, the Bible doesn't say here do everything they did. It said, imitate their faith. What is faith? Faith is obedience to the word of God. Imitate their faithfulness. Imitate their obedience. I love Psalm 16. Verse 1 says, Preserve me, O God, for I take refuge in you. I said to the Lord, You are my God, and I have no good besides you. As for the saints who are in the earth, they are the majestic ones in whom is all my delight. Lynn reminded me after the first service that we live in an age that it's always about something new and better. We have whole churches get started based upon, you don't want to do the old stuff. Let's do something new. Let's do something different. Well, who do you imitate then? If you forget about what's gone before, who are you imitating? That's what he said, imitate. What is imitate? imitate. It's imitate. When I was a coach in the weight room, we would go in, and I've told you this before, girls were easier to train than guys were because girls kind of listened with their ears. They didn't know about lifting, so they had to learn for the first time. Guys came in there, and beside my own boys, I had one guy, Aaron Frude, that listened the first time. He just probably had a natural body for squats, but you'd say, now, here's how you do squats. and like, yeah, yeah, I know, yeah, Uh." because we're guys, we all know how to squat. And so they would do it, and they'd do it wrong. Every single time, except for Aaron. And so I say, no, do it again. Because you can get this lightweight doing it wrong, but if you don't get the form down, if you don't imitate perfectly, when it gets to the heavyweight, you're going to hurt yourself. It matters. It matters. It matters. And so it was imitation. Just imitate. I want you to feel how this feels when you do it right. If you don't feel how it feels, you'll do it wrong. You go back to your old habits. God is so good. He's given us people to imitate their faith. Paul said, follow me as I follow Jesus Christ. To be be able to have those people in our life. And as I was chewing on this sermon this week, I was getting more excited And I got so much stuff here, it would take us a couple hours and we'd have fun. But we got a baptismal, so we're not going to take two hours. But I began to think about all the people that God put into my life who led me, who went before me. And what those people do is they lead you back to the Word of God. Because we tend to have this idea about people in the Word of God like we do about Jesus Sometimes people think that Jesus, he had this halo around his head like you see in all the artwork. And so we have this excuse, well, that was Jesus. Well, Jesus said do this. Yeah, but Jesus said that. He was Jesus. So I'm not Jesus, so I don't have to do it. One of the challenges, when I first came here to the little legalistic Baptist church that God called me to, and it was good, it was a good school of, uh, of hard knocks for me, but people said, we don't want to hear any more personal illustrations. I'm like, well, I haven't lived anybody else's life. And this is how the Bible has worked out in my life. And so I called my mom and time. what does that mean? She said, Paul, people don't want to know you struggle. They want pastors up on a pedestal. And then they can do the same thing they do to Jesus. Well, that's the pastor. See, he's got to live that kind of life up there. And they don't want to know that you struggle with the same stuff they do, but you found the answer in Scripture. Because then they'll have to do something about their sin. They'll have to do something about They're stumbling block lives. I said, oh, okay, that's good to know. And we have those people in our life, and especially mom and dads, that love the Lord, that love us, and are honest enough to get down on their knees when they sin and say, son, will you forgive me? That was wrong. Mom stole the tools, you didn't, I know that. Mom wrecked the car, you didn't whether it's your anger or something you said, to get down in front of them and they realize, hey, this Christian life, there's no cakewalk. You need the Holy Spirit. You need humility. That's where it starts. I look back at my own heritage and clear back in the 1700s, I had a great, great something grandfather named Johann Just Merton They spelled it different in Germany, Merton. And his first wife had passed away, and they worked in a German foundry there. And they got together with 11 other guys because the governor of Virginia wanted to start a German foundry over Virginia. And they moved with their 68-year-old pastor. In 1700s, that's old. That's not old now because I'm getting closer, and that's not old at all. But in the 1700s, that was old. And they moved to Virginia and established that foundry and established the first evangelical German church. It's the Lutheran Church. And they had prayer every day, and they got together twice to have prayer and worship on Sundays. Now, talking about him is like talking to the Apostle Paul. That's not in our blood. The Bible says every relationship to Christ is first generation. You have to be born of the Spirit. So it's not the blood that's an encouragement to me. It's the faithfulness. And I had a Grandpa Martin, he moved up because of the, the bad times in Missouri, he was a school teacher and they were starving down there, so he moved to Minneapolis because they had more jobs there and he had a, he had a brother-in-law that was up there and he said, come on up here, life is good in Minneapolis, I don't think they told him about the cold. <laughs> but the first thing my grandpa did was find a church. My grandpa Martin was never a pastor. He was a deacon, but he was faithful. He was consistent. And his home was a place of ministry because my grandma Martin, she was hospitable. And every pastor, almost every missionary that came to their church, they just shipped them over to Lula's house because they knew they were going to get good southern cooking there, and she could cook. And so... My mom, my dad and his brothers and sisters grew up having people in their home, and they loved music, so worship was a part of that, something they did. Every day, they'd, they'd gather around the Word, and they'd sing songs. It was worship consistency. On my dad's side, excuse me, on my mom's side, my Grandpa Berglund got saved after 30 years old, grew up on the farm, farmer, lumberjack. He came to Christ in evangelistic meetings. My grandpa, Berglund, had such a heart for people. They say I preach like him. I don't know how that works. I knew him for six years, and he passed away. He has such a love for souls. I hope I get to go this way. He was out in meetings, and he would stop, and he still spoke Swedish because he grew up in a Swedish home. In Minneapolis, he would go into a Swedish bakery or a Swedish business, and he'd wait till they spoke in Swedish, and then he he would start speaking in Swedish, and they would just light up, and he'd share Christ with them. But he's having evangelistic meetings up in northern Minnesota, I believe, and he uh, had a heart attack. They took him to the hospital. He witnessed to a nurse. He went home, to be the Lord. That's the way to go, folks. And my grandma Berglund, she was like Timothy's grandmother, Lois. And she just poured the scripture into me. Scripture memory. She she just, scripture memory. And we had in Old Firth Baptist Church, we had a lady, Mildred Streed. And Mildred was in charge of the memory program for memory verses. And I don't know what that lady did to us, but I just wanted to memorize all the scripture I could. People that God put in our life, so how come you got so many? Probably because the Lord knew I was going to need a lot. Those people God puts in our life are like a wall of protection. When I got on my own, I always had to think when I was getting off the main trail that, hmm, I hope my dad doesn't find out about this. In fact, I began to grow up thinking, if there was something, a business deal or something that I thought I shouldn't talk about, didn't want to talk to my dad about, I figured I better. It's not that my dad knew everything, but I knew there was wisdom there. My grandma and Grandpa Martin got saved when they were 15 years old at a revival meeting that my grandma's uncle was preaching. Yellow Creek Baptist Church in Missouri. And they just never got over that. My dad, I call him the accidental discipler because he grew up in ministries, traditional ministries, and it was about the pastor studied and visited the hospital, and, and you preach Sunday morning, Sunday night, Sunday school, and Wednesday night. And they had Bible reading pretty regular, but that's not what got me with my dad. That's not what my dad poured his life into me is when we were sitting around the table. He'd say, what's going on in school? We went to public school. Well, the teacher's teaching that. What do you think the Bible says about that? I don't know, Dad. What does the Bible say about that? And we have discussions. He'd take me places, and just like the father in Proverbs, he'd say, "You see that fellow? You see those guys over there? I don't know them, but we need to pray for guys like that." We went to a funeral in Chicago in 1973 in the fall for an evangelist named Fred or George Minstic and. He'd passed away, an amazing testimony. And we're driving through Chicago, some of the rough parts of Chicago, and there's just guys leaning against the walls of the buildings. He said, Paul, you know, some of these guys, they're born here, they grow up here, they never see the outside of this city. They don't know there's anything out there. That impacted me. He said, Paul, if I, America, at that time, he said, America's a great place. And if you're willing to work, I would load my family in my car and drive as far as I could to get them out of the city, give them a chance. It's those things, like Paul said, I counted you dear unto me, 1 Thessalonians 2, 7. And I didn't give you the gospel, but I poured my life into you like a nursing mother. See, in order to have that kind of discipleship, you have to be personal with people. You have to open up and get vulnerable. And discipleship can be messy, and you find out things you don't want to fight. But you know as we have the Word of God, and we have the Holy Spirit to give us the ability and the strength and the grace to come alongside people and bear one another's burdens. That's where it happens, personally, in personal discipleship. Not just where you have the professional speaker, he gets up, he gives you information, you go home, try to figure it out on your own. It's personal. And my mom, my mom, you know her today, she's still feisty, she's eighty. Four? Five? Okay. See, my computer, my backup computer's right here. She remembers all the birthdays. And she's an ornery Swede, man. She'll tell you what she's thinking in a heartbeat. But you know what? She loved me. And by the grace of God, she submitted to the leadership of my dad. And our home was a center of ministry. And so I grew up. Not just hearing the missionaries and the pastors that came, but around our table, listening to how God showed up in their lives and how he, he protected them and how he supernaturally provided for them. I remember hearing Monroe Parker tell a story about how he would be sent out to do some ministry in Philadelphia, and he was from the south, it was so cold, and the money for support was supposed to be there, and he was whining to God, walking across this cold bridge in Philadelphia, and he said to the Lord, Lord, I know that if we were my son, I'd just give him a couple buffalo nickels to get a hamburger. And look down in the street, there's one of those old purses they used to have you squeeze, and they opened up, two buffalo nickels. Went over and got him a hamburger because in those old days you'd get a hamburger for a nickel. And he ate me so warmed and filled, and he got home, and there was the support. And he taught me that just by that story that God hears our prayers individually, He gets in our lives individually. Not only he give me a mom and dad, he gave me a big brother. Because I'm the oldest in my family. He gave me Lynn Howe, And Lynn got saved. I got, I, I began to get the joy from mom and dad of people coming to Christ. Because they said, my dad said, oh, Eunice, I think we got to Wheatland too late. Look at this sharp young man. And, you know, he's a senior in high school. So his ways kind of set. And then Lynn got saved the first youth activity. Lynn taught me how to neck rein a horse how to drive cattle, how to play football. And then he became my youth pastor. And he did something I've never gotten over. He could tell, because I was his brother, when I was just kind of, you know what teenagers get? They get a look on their face. With guys, it starts right here in the jaw. You know? Don't mess with me. Don't talk to me. I don't want to hear anything. And And I knew better than to say those words out loud because it would come with some discipline from my dad afterwards, but Lynn would put his arm around me and say, Paul, step into my office. We're going to pray. I'm like, oh, I don't want to pray. I can't mess with God that way. We'd go in there and we'd pray. You know what? I never got over it. I still do that today. People will come up and say, Pastor, would you be praying about this? Let's pray now. Let's pray now. And then he gave me people that taught me like Doug Bookman, that godliness is not limited to just a denomination, and he gave me some secret John MacArthur tapes. Hey, listen to these. Don't tell anybody where you got them from. And like you, he has taught me to just want to dig into the scripture and get the whole story, right? And that's why from the, from the time I began to be a pastor, my first year here, I called Doug. Doug, can you come and? And teach my people because I want them to hear something I can't give them. I want them to get an appetite for the word. And then he's given me other people to teach that I'll never know till I get to heaven. To read Charles Spurgeon's sermons and to read his biography of how he did things. And how he led his congregation. And of George Mueller who determined he wasn't going to ask anybody for money. I remember reading a book by Bill Hybels that he said he had a gift to be able to get money out of people. I'm like, man, I'd already read George Mueller. That didn't sound like something I want to do. George Mueller said, God can tell people as easy as you can to give. And the stories of George Mueller, he had an orphanage, and I don't know how many thousands of orphans he took care of, and they'd have no food, and he said, children, were going to pray, and a bread truck would break down, or a milk truck would break down. And his whole ministry was like that. I said, Lord, I want a ministry like that where where I know God's showing up. It's not about me. It's not about a form or a program. I want to follow the Lord. And God put those people, those authors into my life as consistent. And the Bible says there, imitate their faith. And then the next verse, verse 8, tells us what that is. Jesus Christ. The same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus doesn't change depending upon the denomination or the culture. He's the same. I love that. There's a sameness and godliness that blesses my heart. One of the great blessings that I had as a young pastor, 29 years old, was having Assembly of God pastor Dave Garrett in the same town with me. And when he retired, he came here to church because we loved him so much, because he was such an example of godliness. And somewhere along the line, we decided, let's start going out to Moody Founders Week. And so we get a chance, we we go out there. And the reason I like taking young men out there is because there are speakers there from all different denominations. But the one common line is godliness. Jim Cimbala spoke, he wrote some books, he's a Pentecostal pastor in New York, Brooklyn Tabernacle. And I don't know if you've ever heard his choir, but they'll blow your socks off. But along with the testimony and the great music, always comes a testimony of God saving somebody out of sin. If you love the Lord, you love those testimonies. And Jim Cimbala spoke, just a little tiny guy, stood up there with a microphone and he ministered the word of God, and once again, I saw that godliness. There may be some eccentricities, may some doctrines that are different, but godliness is recognized because Jesus Christ is the same. Ephesians chapter 4 says, there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father over all. Now, when we get to heaven, God's going to straighten us all out. You understand that, right? We're all going to see and be known as we're known, and we're going to know where, well, Maybe you weren't a pre pre maybe you weren't a, a, a Calvinist, and you'll learn you were wrong. You know, um, I'm, I'm not trying to make you mad. Maybe you didn't believe in a pre-trib rapture, and then you'll find out when you get raptured. You know, I was wrong. But godliness, godliness is the same. The Bible says we we see in a glass darkly. There's some things, and sometimes God, I think he allows those things on purpose because there's certain people that we have to reach. And so he gifts us and he calls us. But Jesus Christ is the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. And God knows we need more than just philosophy or knowledge. We need to see that lived out. When we have those kind of people in our life, it'll keep you from Paul's teaching. I remember um, probably 20 years ago or more, it was Doug Doug Wookie had just started coming, so he can tell you how long ago that was. But um, we were having a picnic at the park with our church, one of those Sunday afternoon deals. And one of the guys that I'd seen come to Christ, and he was just growing like crazy, came up and announced to me, hey, Paul, I've discovered this new thing, and, and I'm going this way. And I'm like, okay. And he kind of wanted to argue with me about it because, you know, he's a disciple and, and uh, you know, just throw an elbow, see how I'd respond. And my first response in my mind was to say, hold it, here's the point. And, and I stopped. And I told my buddy, I said, listen, I'm not that smart. And I'm sure there's a lot of things God's gonna straighten me out in doctrine when I get to heaven. But I'll tell you this, I'm surrounded by godly men. I said, there's Doug Bookman my brother Lynn Howe, there's my dad, John MacArthur. This is what they teach. If I'm wrong, they'll get straight out before I do. I'm just going to stay here. And Matt looked at me and said, that's good enough for me too. Yeah, there's some things we're not going to figure out in this, th- this world, but God gives us those opportunities. Are we going to take advantage of it? Are we going to Follow those so that these people could say what everybody else is saying to them. Hey, listen, you're the only ones that believe that way. You only got Jesus. We've got all this tradition. And if you leave, you're going to be by yourself. It goes on to say, listen, what are you leaving? You're leaving legalism and tradition. And that's not going to feed your soul. Verse 9 He says, do not be carried away by varied and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace and not by foods, through which those who were so occupied were not benefited. Now he's talking especially about Jewish um, dietary restrictions and laws. Somehow you'll be saved by your diet. Listen, even as a Christian you can get hooked up in health food and essential oils and all kinds of things. Say, Oh, well, here it is. No, no, no. Hey, Eat food, the Bible says it's convenient for you to give you energy, but you're not going to be saved by your diet, and no matter how healthy you eat physical food, you're still going to die someday, still going to die. So if you focus on that, you're focusing on the wrong thing. It's like people that just focus on exercise. What did Paul say? Bodily exercise profit. It's a good thing. Stay in shape reasonably so that you can live longer and minister longer, but that's not going to save you ultimately. Exercise profit a little, bit. godliness is profit in all things. It's grace that ministers strength to us. It's taking those risks to follow the Lord by faith, and all of a sudden you're out there and there's no help but God. And God's grace comes in and provides and protects and leads and gives wisdom And you get to experience the joy of God showing up in your life. It's no longer philosophy. It's no longer theory. You know God by your experience with him. Not only surrounding yourself with those that have gone before and remembering their testimony, what they went through. Does it protect you from false teaching and getting into legalism? But it protects you from intimidation. Verses 10 through 12 is talking about the sacrifice here. I think the overall message is pretty clear to see. He says, we have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. See, those people are saying, hey, you're, you're going you're gonna to leave and you're not going to have all these traditions. You're not going to have all this wonderful experience of what we go through in the feast. And you're going to leave this. You're going to leave it behind. You're going to be all by yourself. He said, no, you need to understand something. You have food to eat that they know nothing about. They know nothing about it. And they have no right to worship and to partake of Christ because they haven't been saved. Don't be intimidated by that. Don't be intimidated by tradition. Tradition. I know where I grew up, sometimes it was taught that legalistic people just have a higher standard. No, legalism is not a higher standard, it's wickedness. To think that somehow you can do anything to earn grace from God. No, no, you can't earn grace from God. But it's obedience that you experience His grace when you just trust Him. goes on to say, For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy place by the high priest as an offering for sin are burned outside the camp. Therefore, Jesus also that he might sanctify the people through his own blood suffered outside the camp. You have a choice to make. You want to go for the bells, the whistles, the smoke, and the tradition, or you want life? You're going to have to make a decision. Jesus went outside the camp. And as you remember those that left what was comfortable to follow Christ, they left it behind. They said, no, I must have Christ. What did they find? They found an amazing fellowship of other people that had left. Oh, there's threats. If you leave, you can't come back. You're going to lose your job. What we got when they found there was an amazing, powerful, loving family of God. said so verses 13 and 14 let's worship Christ you see the best form of worship is imitation he said so let us go out to him outside the camp bearing his reproach we read that already didn't we Hebrews chapter 11 talking about Moses Moses had to make a choice and he had to count the cost. And he thought it was more precious, it was worth more to bear the reproach of Christ than all the riches of Egypt. Yeah, it's going to cost you. Maybe you come to Christ as a new believer and you're so excited. And you've, you have freedom from sin and you have this joy. And you think everybody else wants to hear And you share it with your relatives. They, hey, don't talk to me about Jesus anymore. And you're kind of surprised. But I found this great peace. No, 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 you'll get over it. I don't need that. And at first you're discouraged, but God even uses those trials to drive you to his family that you find protection and encouragement. He said, let's follow Christ. And we're going to have to make some decisions Because it's not just following Christ, making a decision to be a Christian, it's also living out the values of Jesus Christ. You're going to have to make some decisions about that. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 1, it says, therefore, if you've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, and set your mind on things above, not on things that are on the earth. Romans chapter 12, verse 2, he's got 11 chapters of doctrine, of salvation. He comes to 12, and now it's going to get practical. And verse 2 says of Romans 12, don't be conformed to this world. The world has a value system. It has a comfort system. And you'd be best just to go along with it. That's what the world says. Don't be conformed to this world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you might find out what is that good and acceptable, the perfect will of God. How do you do that? You seek for Christ in the scriptures, and you, in all your ways, acknowledge him so that you're using your life that belongs to him and your finances and your talents and your giftedness for his glory. But you have to make a decision about that. And guess what? When you begin to make those decisions, you'll be making those decisions all your life till you go to heaven. You'll be making those decisions, value decisions. You see, some of us are called to go. We're called to go. We're called to go and bring the gospel to other nations. And some of us are called to send. And Peter writes... In 1 Peter chapter 1, and he says, so gird up your loins for action. What does that mean when you gird up your loins? Well, in those days, they'd have long robes and they'd have their armor on, so they'd have to pick the robes up and tuck it in their belt that held everything together so they could run and they could fight and they wouldn't be hindered. So those that are going, well, that makes sense. And so we need to get rid of some things and lighten the load and and get focused and, and go. But you know what? There's not two calls. For those that are called to stay, they need to gird up their loins for action also. They're called to send. They're called to be just as involved in the Great Commission as those that are going. As though you went yourself. That's why we like it when we support missionaries personally, not just denominationally. When we get those letters from David in Georgia and they came back with the reports, our hearts were in our our throats because we were involved. We were a part of what they were doing over there. We get the messages from David and Christian in Germany or Josh, we go down there and help them. We want to know what's happening because they're part of us. We're part of them. So God may be working in your life and saying, okay, it's not just important that you have a heritage of those that have gone before you or you're surrounded with faithful people. How are you leaving a path for others to follow? What kind of heritage are you leaving For those that are following you. Where do I start? Where do I start, Paul? Moses was called by God to go deliver his people. He'd been gone for 40 years. He didn't even know the language very well. God showed up supernaturally and said, Moses, I've chosen you to go deliver my people. Well, Moses had tried doing that on his own and didn't work out too well. So he said, well, Lord, they won't listen to me. And he began to have all these excuses Exodus chapter 3 and 4. They won't listen to me. Who should I say sent me? Why would they listen to me? Lord, I can't even speak good Egyptian or Hebrew anymore or whatever they were speaking back then. So, I mean, and the Lord, every time he answered, finally he said, well, why would they listen to me? And God said to Moses in Exodus 4, what's that in your hand? Well, that's just a staff. Throw it down on the ground came a serpent. He said, pick it up again. <laughs> Are you sure? He picked it up became a staff again. He said, put your hand in your bosom. Put it in his shirt. Pull it out. It was leprous. Put it back in again. Came out healed. So I'm going to send you before and no, they're not going to listen to you. They're not going to they're they're let the children, my, my children go, but what, what's going to happen is I'm going to bring plagues on Egypt so when they get done, they're going to know who the God of heaven is. They're going to know who I am was. And finally, Moses went. See, if you're going to make that kind of heritage, you're going to have to step out by faith. In America, it's e- it's kind of easy just to say, "Well, listen, I'm, Pastor, I'd like to do that, but right now I'm working on my 401k. So I hope we don't plan on sending into my friends of the mission field because I feel obligated. That's going to hurt my bottom line, right? I don't, I don't want to sell the house I'm living in, but I know God's telling me if I really want to be involved, I'm going to have to do this, make some, I don't know what God's telling you. I'm not here to tell you. That's why whenever we have an offering, we don't say, everybody needs to give this much. We don't figure it out. Now, if everybody gave $5, well, no, we don't do that. We don't figure it. If God's laid it in our heart, we come to you and say, listen, God's just laid this on the, our heart. See if he laid it on your heart or not. If he hasn't, don't give. We'll find out if that was us or was God. So where are we going to get involved well next time Jason has a work day at camp go up there and help what's going to happen up there well you're going to have fellowship and, and you're going to begin to hear somebody else's burdens their life story and then maybe you're going to get in a small group and, and pretty soon somebody to say do you know you do this you're always good at this and then you just major on that spiritual gift what do you have in your hand this last week we were up in my office, and we were just we were, we were on overload as we begin to go through all that God is doing through this local congregation. I was on overload, and I was so excited. You look at those that are ministering on the college campus, and then Doug came in and told us about a possibility that blew our minds, and then we were glorying in, in the way that you gave to what God's laid on Charlie's heart in ministry. And then we thought about wonder what the Lord wants us to do with the chapel over in West Laramie. And then we talked about the, the um, rural ministries that, that Rex and Kyle and some of those fellows are leading. And, and it just went on and on and on. You know what hit me this morning? I wonder if that's because we're about to see even greater harvest and God needs people to be serving him. People come to a church like this and, and they think, well, it's a big church. Well, it's Wyoming. I know this is not a big church compared to American churches, but um, it's Wyoming. And people see a church like this and say, oh, well, I'll not, I don't want to go there because there'll be no place to serve. Are you kidding me? More people, more problems, more ministry. But it starts by just beginning. See, if you play protection... You can. You can quench the Holy Spirit and not get involved, not get in a small group. That's safe. I understand that. Don't pray about it when there's an opportunity to pray about giving. Don't pray about it. And maybe you can reach heaven. You know, you're know you truly saved. You're going to get to heaven. But the Bible says there'll be some there that are saved so as by fire. What does that mean? They get their tail feathers, feathers singed? No. What that means is they're saved. They're there. With nothing to give back to Jesus No trophies You see in order to get trophies In this battle You're going to have to risk something Now from God's perspective It's really not a risk Because he promised You go I'm going to be with you I will never leave you Nor forsake you He is the same Yesterday Today And forever And you'll be able to say By grace He's there God did not forsake me. But if you'll risk something, and you'll step out there, you'll say, okay, Lord, I'm going to be obedient. I I don't know how it's going to turn out. See, that's called faith. And he is directing your path. You're going to be in the middle of your ministry, ministering to people from your giftedness, thinking all this in heaven too. See, I encourage you, pastor, to get involved. Not so, because we don't feel, you don't see any boards around here, what the offering was last week, how many people come to church. I don't know, it's kind of full, you know? Kind of full. Because we're not carving notches in our gospel guns. But what I want you to experience is the joy of the Lord, and more than anything, I want to hear when I get to heaven, Paul, you did okay. You did your job, well done. And I want you to hear that too. You say, well, I don't have ability for that. That's exactly where Moses started. The greatest leader the world has ever seen started with, I don't have any ability. I don't think I have the strength. And Jesus says, my strength is sufficient. Father, we thank you for your love. Thank you for the people, the saints that you've put in our lives. Lord, even this last week, we heard the testimony of Thomas and Mary People who went to a place where there were no believers and no guarantee, and now over 2 million people know the Lord in that country. And we got to hear that story. There's still a lot of people that haven't heard the gospel, Lord Jesus. Even in lands where the gospel used to be, and now there's a whole new generation that don't know about you. And Lord, we're amazed that you chose a little place like this, Laramie, Wyoming, begin to send people from and to do things that is abundantly more that we could ever ask or think and let yeah lord you're doing it thank you for the faithful people you've put into our life maybe it's just the person that shared jesus with us and lord when things get tough help us to remember them help us to not think we have to be on our own. We can call for brothers and sisters to pray and to be with us and to bear our burdens and to bear their burdens. And Lord, stir us up to a greater harvest. Stir us up to follow you in ways we've never thought of before. Because Lord, we want to glorify you. We want to worship you with all that we have. In Jesus' name, amen.